Hello and welcome to the Friday, August 23rd, 2019 edition of On Iowa Politics. This week, Native Americans get some love from the 2020 Democratic presidential hopefuls and Democratic shrinkage. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. With me today are Brett Hayworth of the Sioux City Journal. Good morning, Brett. Hello, James. Good morning. And Gazette columnist Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. You can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. First up, with apologies. Brett, uh, I don't know how many caucus campaigns you've covered, but you covered something new this week, the Frank Lemaire Native American Presidential Forum. Two days, 10 2020 Democratic hopefuls speaking to the issues of interest in Native Americans. Much of the coverage, uh, yours and others, was about Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren apologizing for her past attempts to portray herself as an American Indian. Uh, how, how was that received, Brett? Uh, was her apology accepted or was there skeptical, were folks skeptical that this was sort of a political move more than a, a, an apology? Yeah, it was, it was interesting. Um, I, as I was, uh, was thinking about this, that um, I, I've covered her twice in the Orpheum Theater, which is where this uh, event was here earlier in the week. Um, she was the first candidate we had in the 2019 um, cycle. Um, in, in January, she was the first person to come to Sioux City, and it was also at the Orpheum, which is is, is a great venue. And the first questioner that she had that day, she gave her stump speech, you know, like a half an hour or so. And the first question right out of the, the mark was was a woman who asked her about her DNA test. So it's kind of ironic that she's addressed that twice now. And and in this time, uh, for this forum, she came out on stage and uh, it was in her uh, preparatory remarks when she, when she said this. So it wasn't a question that was posed to her. She just brought it up as sort of, um, um, you know, uh, brought it up of, of her own volition. And um, so I don't know if you could say that she was trying to take the issue off the table, but, you know, I think she wanted to clear the air, so to speak. Um, uh, it might be the, the way to phrase it. And, and um, people, uh, overwhelmingly, the, the people that were attending this were are Native Americans from all over America. It was had great turnout from lots and lots of, lots of states. But anyway, she after what she said, uh, her apology that she'd made some mistakes and she was sorry for harm and that, that sort of thing is what she said. Um they, they gave a, a big applause line, and um, um, so I don't know if, we, if that's considered accepted, but I, I do believe that she made, you know, some headway and, and um, you know, tried to, you know, as I said, clear the air. And I, I think it was a was a good move, at least from how people saw it and, and how the how the crowd accepted it. I guess the other issue that uh, got a lot of coverage was promises the candidates made to strip Medal of Honor. Uh, the Medal of Honor from soldiers who received the highest military honor for their roles in what we often refer to as the Indian Wars. Um, was there disagreement with that? Was there any? Has there been any pushback from the military community? Right, and it, is the Medal of Honor is that what Donald Trump said the other day that he wanted to was thinking about awarding to himself? Is that is that correct? <laughs> I, I, be, I believe that. Well, I'm was, sure he deserves it. Yeah. Well, yeah. He's, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so how how this came up? Um, they had a they had an elder uh, woman uh, from a Native American from uh, Upper Midwest who every every time she was the first question out of the shoot, and she phrased that question and she gave um, a summary of of kind of the heartache that she said that still exists in in Indian Indian country over over the Battle of Wounded Knee um, and described 
how it, it wasn't a battle, it was a massacre um, of about 200 people, a lot of uh, women and children who had been, as she described it, they kind of went off to a, a part that was, to basically escape the the, uh, the shooting that was happening, and then soldiers followed them in and, and killed them all. And um, so she phrased that, and you know there was uniformity amongst all the Democrats that that spoke at this. That these medals, you know, this wasn't necessarily an honorable thing, and that they wanted to um, that that they agreed that those should be stripped. And there's a there's a bill that's in Congress right now to per, perhaps do that. And so no, there was there was um, uh, no disagreement with that. With that, and as far as pushback from the military, um, I haven't heard any. Um, there was. Uh, you know nothing in the forum, and, and you know, in the moment as it has, and you know, I I I thought around a little bit on Twitter, and you know, sometimes I gauge things from we have we have very active bunch of people here of letters to the editor writers, and and nothing's come in about that, so I haven't heard any any pushback on that yet. Interesting. This was the first form of this sort. Uh, what's your biggest takeaway from it, Brad? I mean, after spending two days there listening to these folks and. Uh, not only the candidates, but the the people attending. I, I would say um, that um, first, first of all, I, I wasn't sure as a reporter when this was first um, pitched um, a few months. It wasn't like there was a, a huge um, period for this for this to come together. I, I wasn't sure how how big it would actually come to be. I you know I didn't know if it would be you know three presidential candidates or. or four or whatever, but I thought the turnout was good. You know, 10 over two days, that's pretty substantial um, to, to come to Sioux City for this over a two-day period. Um, I, I, to answer that, um, the one thing I, there was um, the, some of the panelists who would speak before, in between uh, each of the candidates spoke, they liked um, the people, who, I guess the candidates who were prepared, so to speak, who had had preparation from their careers. So, what was what was said um, up on stage a few times were that um, Kamala Harris, from her uh, prosecutorial, prosecutorial um, background as Attorney General, and then um, um, Bernie Sanders, and then also especially uh, Julian Castro uh, for his HUD being the HUD Secretary during the Obama administration. He knew a lot about housing programs, and there was a lot of questions about. Uh, native housing on on reservations and elsewhere, and the quality of that housing, and you know how how they were pushing for more. So, I, I guess it was those people, those candidates who had um, backgrounds that led them to be you know more focused on a, on a certain um, issues that were of concern to these people, as opposed to like your generic congressman or or senator who maybe had a, a broader you know, not not so in depth, um, so to speak. I mean, th- that that was that would be one takeaway. That my, my most, I guess, my most uh, prominent takeaway would be that. Todd, uh, the critics of the First in the Nation caucuses, and I've heard there are a few, uh, <laughs> complain that candidates are forced to dance to the tune of an old white rural electorate, not reflective of the nation. And most of the candidates uh, have already participated in a series of AARP forums and have spoken at the state fair, which I suppose only reinforces that. Uh, now we have 10 candidates, including most of the so-called top tier, speaking at a forum organized by Native Americans, who according to the Census Bureau, number about 6 million or 2% of the population. Is this quadrennial caucus love them or hate them argument 
Um, does this help or hurt Iowa's position? Yeah, well, I I think it helps. I think any time that the caucus campaign provides a venue for uh, Americans who are not, you know, necessarily old and white and rural to uh, to to have their issues showcased and to have candidates give their answers to questions. I think that I think that's a good thing, and I think it you know sort of undermines that idea that yeah, it's just it's just people speaking on hay bales to you know to people in overalls. I mean that's <laughs> that does happen. I've seen it. I, I know it does, but. Uh, I think these kind of forums that, like I say, highlight the issues of, of a, a more diverse group of voters. I think that that you know that's that's a purpose that it's it's great for the caucuses to serve, and and hopefully they'll be. Uh, I mean, we're we're the Gazette is a co-sponsor of a forum coming up that's going to highlight LGBTQ issues. So that's that's another venue where where a, you know a. a, a smaller group of voters gets to gets to get into the caucus process and have their issues addressed. So I think that undermines the the old stereotypes about about the caucuses. Well we've already seen the the Asian Latino right. uh, uh, endorsement process and the brown and black form has become sort of a, a staple of the, the caucus campaign. Um, like you say, things that sort of uh, counteract the old white rural uh, notion of Iowa. Um, I guess in good news this week, uh, the Democratic <laughs> field seems to be shrinking. N not by much, but the rate of shrinkage is increasing. Uh, Washington Governor Jay Inslee joined former Go Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper and California Representative Eric Swalwell uh, in dropping out of the race. And just this morning, Friday morning, um, Massachusetts uh, Representative Seth Moulton announced he will drop out of the race. As far as I know, he had no Iowa caucus staff. He appeared at few events and was polling at literally zero, according to Mon Morning Consult. Um, he is leaving the door open for a future presidential run, uh, <laughs> according to a statement from his campaign. Isn't the door always open? <laughs> well, <laughs> you never want to shut that door. <laughs> You know, never say never. It's such a big, beautiful door. Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> so, so Todd, uh, any any final thoughts on in Jay Inslee and Seth Moulton? Um, I'm not really sure what Seth Moulton's signature yeah. issue was. Inslee's was climate change. Yeah, and I think, you know, Inslee wanted to emphasize climate change. And I think what he found is that a lot of the other candidates also have pretty significant climate change plans, aggressive, you know, they're, they're advocating aggressive steps to re reduce carbon emissions and all of that. So, uh, and they also have other attributes that made them more interesting as candidates maybe than, than Jay Inslee, who's a governor. I, governors generally uh, are seen as, you know, having executive experience might make better presidents. We haven't seen a lot of success for them this time around. And so that's, that may be a little bit surprising, but uh, yeah, it sounds like he's going to go back and try to be governor of Washington some more, and and that's that's uh, you know third he, term. I, I think he probably has a much better chance of staying governor of Washington than becoming president. So should Terry Branstad be worried about his uh, longest-serving governor legacy? I don't know. It's you know that it's it's out there. All records are made to be broken. There you so go. So it's it's got to go. it's, it's going to happen someday. <laughs> 
and you sort of address this, but Inslee's failure, does it say anything about the salience of climate change as an issue, or is it just that he he might have been first to the dance, but everybody else uh, yeah, it, learned those steps? I mean, it's a, it's a mix, there's a mixed, I mean, it's a mixed signal in that, as I say, a lot of the other candidates, almost all the other candidates have climate agendas. But at the same time, you have the Democratic Party rejecting the idea of having a debate that's solely about climate change. And so it's, you know, yeah, you, you could look at these two things and think, well, this is an issue for voters, but is it, does the party, or does the party right now want to talk about other stuff? And I think as an issue in the Democratic primary, I don't know that it's a fighting issue like healthcare, so, which I, I think has, has gotten a lot more attention and maybe is higher up on the list of people's priorities. But yeah, I, I don't think you can win the Democratic nomination without a good climate change plan, but I, I don't think you know, with all of the issues swirling around right now in the primary, other important issues, I don't think that, that you can run on just just the one issue like that. I guess to some degree, Inslee was successful in elevating it as an issue uh, just by the fact that everybody has uh, a climate change plan. Yeah. Uh, and he certainly brought it brought attention to the issue. Well, and the earth has played a role by getting hotter. Yeah. Well, so that you got to give credit where it's due. And those melting <laughs> icebergs and the, the wildfires and yeah. all the, yeah, the Amazon yeah. rainforest burning. That's everybody's. So, yeah. So you're saying he's orchestrating it. He's, no, bur- no, I, he's I, burning I mean, down the Amazon. Who? who I, I don't think so. I mean, he seems like an affable guy. I don't think he's out torching rainforest, but. It, if, he's got a lot of time. More if Washington time now. State starts burning, well, we'll, yeah, we'll know that he's re- reigniting it, his it campaign. Yeah, great. Boom. Okay, Brett. I mean, uh, from seeing the the ten candidates here in the last two days at, this week in Sioux City, um, not only w- would I say that they wanted to talk climate change, that there was v- several very well versed um, um, candidates who, who who seemed pretty astute and you know top of mind and talking about climate change and and. As you guys talk about, we're seeing the effects. Uh, I hadn't picked up on this, but um, it was said that July, this July, was the warmest month in the history of, of you know, recorded history. Okay. Did, did any of those folks at the the Native American Forum uh, appear to be taking their last breaths as candidates uh, on their last legs, so to speak? Mm-hmm. Well, it was it was a good mix of. You know, top tier candidates and you know middle tier and lower tier. Um, I wouldn't say taking their last breath, but I mean you could see some tep- some tepid uh, responses from the audience. You know, I mean they love Sanders, they love um, Kamala Harris. Um, you know, lots of applause lines for virtually everything they said, and, and then you had someone like John Delaney, who it was kind of I wouldn't say crickets, but it was pretty close to crickets um, for for the response and. You know, you, you know, you can't help but wonder, like, you know, De Blas- Bill De Blasio, who was one of them, Marianne Williamson, who was one of the people here. You know, there wasn't like there was no certainly groundswell for what they were saying, and you know, it's you know, if you're if you're at zero percent, one percent, and we're coming up in another fundraising period, I, you know, we're going to find out some more, you know, here in the next few weeks on on who's who's exiting as well. Speaking of who's. Next to exit, uh, I've seen some stories lately that uh, people are suggesting Kirsten Gillibrand or uh, Bill de Blasio will be the next to exit um, at the Iowa Federation of Labor AFL-CIO convention this week. De Blasio was not able to be there, but he video conferenced in 
Unfortunately, there was <laughs> a problem with the audio equipment, and Bill de Blasio sounded like he was uh, inhaling helium <laughs> while oh, he was speaking, <laughs> and it, it just it made it hard to take it seriously uh, oh, when this squeaky voice guy was, you know, unfortunate for Bill de Blasio. Um, Brett, before we go, I have a question that I've been wondering about. At this Native American summit, um, what what was the term of choice? Did people prefer to be called Native Americans, um, American Indians, first people? Um, I, I don't know that there was a, a preferred term. Um, uh, there was... I was surprised the first time I heard it, and then I heard it several times. But you know, the first people that that was there are the first persons, yeah. um, and maybe I haven't been paying attention, but that seemed to be somewhat prominent. Um, a, a lot of I heard natives, Native American, um, didn't hear much. I guess Indian um, sort of sort of references, and that, that reminded me a couple times. It came up the the um, I guess what we've long called Indian mascots came up a couple times with a couple of the candidates and, and, and unsurprisingly they're, they're not well liked um, by, by the candidates or the, or the people in the crowd, boy, that, that the, the, the pain that, that the people um, feel from, from having the Washington at one point, one, one person said, well, we won't even, they won't even name the Washington team. They would just say the Washington team. Um, so that's interesting. Yeah. Well, that's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. I hope it has been worth your time. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher. Fan mail may be sent to oniowapolitics at gmail.com. And you can find us every week on the homepages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Still Ticking will take us out. If you know a band or talented Iowa musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file and remember to follow us on Twitter and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. For Brett, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.